Thank you, Jesus. Every breath belongs to you. Father, we pray that um, not just this morning, but that every breath that you give us would be used to honor and to glorify you, to lift you high. Lord, I pray that you'd please fill us with your spirit this morning. Pray that you would cause our hearts to sing. Lord, even when we're not singing, that our hearts would still be bursting forth in praise. As Paul said in Ephesians, that we would be filled with the Spirit, singing to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in our hearts, continuously, overflowing in praise, Lord. Father, we pray that you would just consume our lives with worship. There's nothing beyond this. Father, I, I know that there's many needs here this morning. Many needs in each one of our lives, and you know that, and you care. You tell us to cast all our cares upon you because you care for us. But Father, I pray that we would not view worship just as a means to an end, but that we would view it as the end itself. There is nothing beyond worshiping you. It is what we will do for eternity. Singing just being one of those ways, but everything, forever, it is about you. And it will never grow old. So Father, I pray this morning that as we continue to worship our way through your word, through a chapter of your, your scripture, I just, I pray, God, that our hearts would continue to sing. Because there's, there's nothing else, there's nothing beyond it. It is a joy, it is the treasure itself to be able to come and to worship. To be able to worship no matter where we're at. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for this precious time that we have together with your word, your spirit, and your people. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen, well, good morning, guys. Good to see you. Again, if you've got your Bibles, grab them. Go to the book of Jonah. That's where we've been in our Bible reading plan. We will be in Jonah chapter 1. I'm going to read all 17 verses, and then we will get into it. Uh, I'm really excited to be back with you again and to have the privilege of sharing God's word. I want to thank Conrad and Matt, the, elder, the other elders, uh, as well as all the interns for the wonderful job that they did uh, while I was gone. And can we just thank them with a round of applause? I, again, they, uh, yeah, thank you. Those, those are some good guys that love the Lord. And, um, and I feel the same way, you know, something they, they said, every, every one of them. I never told them to say this, and we, it wasn't planned or scripted by by any stretch, but every one of them that got up here when they spoke, um, they would talk about the privilege that it was to be able to share God's word with you. And I just want to let you know that they really mean that. Um, the thing I appreciate about those guys is they really do have uh, a fear and trembling uh, to stand up here and to, and to do this um, and to share God's word because it really is uh, a privilege. Um, if you got your Bibles and are in Jonah chapter 1, please just follow along. This is the word of the Lord. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go down with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. 
So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell to Jonah. Then they said, said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and, what people, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to try to to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish, three days, and three nights. Let's pray one more time. Father, thanks for this morning. Thank you for your word. Please open the eyes of our heart now that we could see wonderful things from it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So when you think about Jonah, you think Jonah and the, and the whale. Jonah and the whale. Sunday school, growing up, BBS. It was like every other Sunday school class, right? It was Jonah and the Whale. Um, I was born in 81. By the late 80s, we were still rolling with the felt boards. Does anybody know what the felt board is? Huh? Yeah. Millennials are confused right now. They're like, what? I don't know. Um, it was, the, yeah, it was like groundbreaking technology, I guess, back then. You had these little pieces of felt. I can still remember like when our Sunday school teacher was going over the story of Jonah and the Whale. Our whale was red for some reason. I don't know why. I don't think there's such a thing as a red whale, but you know, she'd stick it on there, and she's like, there it is, and you're like, oh, wow. Um, and to be sure, like Jonah and the whale, or the great fish, or whatever it was, we'll get into that a little bit more next week. Um, but one of, the, one of the challenges, or cautions, uh, ditches that we should watch out for, whenever we come to these Bible stories that are, are familiar to us, is, is missing the point. Because many times, um, they just become that. They become these just children's Bible stories. And this, along with all the stories in the Bible, especially some of those classic stories in the Old Testament, they're not just children's Bible stories. They're the foundation of our faith. And they tell us about who God is, his nature, his character, his power. Tells us about the things that are on his heart. And so as we get into this this morning, you know, over the next several weeks, I, I believe that what we're going to see is a story of an unbelievable, merciful God. Amazing mercy. Amazing mercy. God is far more merciful than we are, folks. <laughs> his love, His mercy, His grace, it is unparalleled. Totally unparalleled. 
And what I want for us over the next couple of weeks as we spend some time in this book is not for us just to be focused on what might seem like some sort of far-fetched children's story or maybe even it even, maybe even seems like a fairy tale to us, but I want us to be focused on any, this incredibly, incredibly merciful God. In fact, if I had to give kind of a sentence sermon for the entire book that I think we're going to kind of be unpacking over the next several weeks, it's this. It's that God, God's mission is to bring mercy through a message spoken by men. Now, you wonder what a preacher does when he has three months off? He just alliterates everything, okay? But let me say it again, because it's true. God's mission is to bring mercy through a message spoken by men. And I, and I hope that over the course of our time together, Lord willing, over the next couple of weeks, as we look at this account from God's word, that God's, my, my, my aim is that God's merciful heart that he still longs to bring salvation to people all over the world, is that God's merciful heart would bleed over into our hearts, into our souls, into our lives. Man, I tell you what, guys, the last year, year and a half has just been crazy. And here's the thing, in the midst of all the immediate needs and the outward crises that we've been facing, you know, from, from COVID with the election and politics and um, uh, social justice stuff, uh, all, all those different things. What, what's happened primarily in the church, and my greatest concern as a pastor, is that what's happened is that there's been these unbelievably vicious vacuums that have been created that are trying to suck God's people away from the primary mission that he's given us. Is that as Christians, we're to be involved in all of life. And man, political issues, they, they, they matter. And social justice, it matters. And the, the, the pandemic and vaccination or non-vaccination or whatever, it matters. But I want to remind us that that is not where our identity lies. Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, has given us a mission that we are to be on with every single breath that we take. And that mission is to proclaim the gospel and to make disciples. And while we may be involved in some of those other things, everything should be a far, far, far second place compared to the priority that we give to the proclamation of God's word and to the mission to make disciples of all nations. Amen? That's what he's called us to do. And I want us to be keenly aware of the fact that the world is constantly setting up these other things that they say are ultimate, but Jesus Christ gets to decide what is ultimate, and he has told us. He has not made it unclear. Is that we have an unbelievable good news message. That's what gospel means. Gospel means good news message that we are to take to all the world. Whether that be here in our locality or literally on the other side of the world. And so I want to talk about this merciful God this morning and the mission that he's given us. Not just this morning, but over the next couple weeks. Here's the first thing I want us to look at. Very beginning of verse 1. Is that mission always starts with God. Mission always starts with God. Look at just the first part of verse 1. It says, now the word of the Lord came. This little phrase, the word of the Lord, it's repeated over a hundred different times in the Old Testament is that when God wanted to get something done, and this is one of the things we'll see in Jonah, but I'll also be referencing some other places throughout the word, is, is that whenever he wants to accomplish a task, he is sovereignly chosen to accomplish that task through men. 
Hear me, not men doing things for him, but he does it through men. And so the word of the Lord would come to a man, and a man would stand up and boldly proclaim that which God had given him to do. And this little phrase, the word of the Lord came, that appears over a hundred times in the Old Testament, but nowhere else is it the very first words of a book. So for example, usually what you have is, is usually a brief description of the prophet or the time in which he lived or a little bit background on him, and then it would say the word of the Lord came. So for example, in the first part of Jeremiah, verses 1 through 4, it starts off in verse 1, now the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were born in Anoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. In the thirteenth year of his reign, it came also in those days of Jehoiakim, the king of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. And so there's a bunch of information, and then verse 4, now the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah said. So you always have this background, and only here in Jonah are just right out the chute, right out the gate. The word of the Lord came, and I think the emphasis is this, and this is what you'll see as you go throughout the book, is that God has something on his heart that he wants to accomplish. God has a mission. God has a people. They're called the Ninevites. Very wicked people. Not on anybody else's radar, as I said earlier, is that God is far more merciful than you or I. There was nobody else in the world that had a burden for these wicked Ninevites, especially God's people, the Israelites. Because the Ninevites, it was the capital of Assyria, and the, and the Assyrians, they're going to eventually kind of take over and invade Israel. And Isaiah prophesies about this coming captivity. But what's happening right now is they're just sending little bands, little raiding parties, in and out, to attack them. So the Israelites did not like the Ninevites, the Assyrians. But God wanted to bring a message of mercy to them. He wanted to save them. And folks, just like there was something on the heart and mind of God back all these thousands of years ago, there was something on his heart and mind for a specific people at this time and place in history. There are things on the heart of, and mind of God right now in our day that he wants to accomplish. And as his people, it is our responsibility to be in tune with his heart and mind, to sit at his feet, and to ask him what it is that he wants to accomplish. But mission always starts with God. When we get saved and we come to know the Lord, I see this all the time, I've seen this greatly in my own life, is that we think that it's now our responsibility to go do something for God. And you may think that that's what I'm saying, but I'm not. We don't do things for God, but God does things through us. And the mission always has to start with him. It always has to start with him. In John chapter 5, even Jesus, when he lived on this earth, fully God and fully man, even Jesus said, in John chapter 5, he said, so, he said truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. A few verses later in verse 30, he says, I can do nothing on my own, but as I hear, I judge. My judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. The first great missionary movement back in Acts chapter 13, it says that all these apostles and prophets had been gathered together in Antioch, and while they were fasting and praying, while they were worshiping, 
and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. They were just sitting at the feet of Jesus. God spoke, and then they went out. Paul and Barnabas went out. In Acts chapter 16, this is now the, the second missionary journey. Paul and Silas being sent out. And it says that as they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So they, they wanted to go to Asia, and, the, and God says, no, no, not there. I'm going to redirect you. And when they came to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And eventually, if you know that story, it goes on, the Spirit leads them over to Troas, and then God speaks to them, and they jump across the sea, and they go over to Philippi, and that's the first time that the gospel ever spread into the region of Europe, what's now modern-day Europe. But the point being is that mission always starts with God. And again, I think sometimes we think that, well, if I sit around and wait on God, nothing's ever going to get done. Two things to that. Number one, God, like I've already said, God is far more merciful than you or I. Number two, God has far more that he wants to accomplish than you or I. God is not lazy, folks. He is not lazy. He is doing a lot in the world and throughout all of history, and he always will be. Jesus said, my father's working up until this very day, and so I do as well. And when we talk about getting on mission with God, we, there, there's, there's ditches on either side of the road, okay? And the one ditch that I'm, I've already been pressing against is that, that we think that we can just do things and ask him to bless it. We think that because it seems like a good thing to us, and it might be a good thing, we think that we can just do it and ask him to bless it. That's one ditch. The other ditch on the other side of the road is that we think we need five dreams, six visions, and seven nightmares before we can move. Right? We think we need to sit around and wait for a bunch of supernatural experiences before God's speaking to me, and, and now I can go. Stay in his word. His word is truth. This is the voice of God. The Spirit takes it. He makes it real in our lives. You don't need five dreams, six visions, and seven nightmares before you can move on. At the same time, you cannot do things in your own strength. I would say most of my life, especially my 20s, most of my 20s was spent uh, having me do things for God that I think he needed to get done. Much of my 30s was spent cleaning that up. But I just turned 40 now. Uh, in July, and, uh, and I don't know, I, I truly, I have such a renewed, <clears throat> excuse me, renewed passion, zeal, to only go where he's going. So what I want for us as a church, I just want us to go where he's going. And guys, our Savior is risen. He's alive. And whatever is on his heart, I want that to be on our heart. Amen? Mission always starts with God. But right on the heels of that, God has sovereignly chosen to carry out his mission through men. And so, again, verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. 
son of Amittai. We don't know a whole bunch about him. Jonah is listed one other place in 2 Kings 14, 25. It says that he lived during the reign of Jeroboam II. I'll talk more about that in a little bit, probably. But the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And again, throughout history, when God wants to accomplish a task, he accomplishes it through men because God is glorified in our weakness. In our weakness, God is made strong. And that's what we have to offer him is our weakness. Nothing more. And so God gives him this word here. Verse 2, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out or cry out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now God is always aware of everything that's going on in the world. There's nowhere anybody can flee from his presence, as Matt read at the beginning. But this idea here is a word picture that this evil was so bad, it was like a really bad stench that has risen up to heaven into the nostrils of God. And again, we're going to see this this, 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 this mingling of the nature and character of God that he is both merciful but he is also righteous and just. And his word here to Jonah at the beginning is to arise, go, and to call out or to cry out against it. And this is where the story really picks up and focuses a lot on Jonah. And one of the major points that I think God wants us to get from this text and the reason why it's in the scripture. Again, whenever you're reading the Bible, you're like, you, you, one of the questions you always want to be thinking about is, why is this here? Not just what, what can I get from, but what does God want me to get from it? Why did he inspire this to be in his word? And I think that as we, we look at the life of Jonah as he, as he flees from God here, is that one of the things that God wants us to get is that God is chosen to carry out his mission through men. But God, in his mercy, he's not just concerned with saving men who don't know him, but he's also greatly concerned with sanctifying the men that he has already saved. Yes, he wants to save people that don't know him, but he's also concerned with sanctifying, with making holy, with making Christ-like men whom he has already saved. And here's the key point, is that when God calls us to follow him into the mission, his, the mission itself is one of the greatest means that God uses to make us mature. You following me? If, let me put it this way. If you want to stay a baby in Christ, if you want to drink from a spiritual bottle and wear spiritual diapers the rest of your life, then just resist getting involved in the mission of God. Don't share your faith. Just keep it quiet. Don't care about what's on the heart of God. But if you want to grow in your faith, then engage with what is on God's heart and be obedient as much as you know how, day in and day out, to share the gospel and to make disciples. Because as you do that, it has a very sanctifying effect in our lives. And Jonah has got some real issues here. Amen? He's got some things that need sanctified. And so what happens is the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, then verse 3 though, Jonah rises to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Okay, if you pictured a map, again, if I, I had three months off, you'd think I'd have had time to get this done, but I didn't. But picture a map up on the screen behind me of the United States. Uh, put an Amish buggy in Ohio, that represents us. Put an apple over by New York City for the big apple. And then put a sack of potatoes over by Idaho, because Idaho potatoes, Okay. 
Nineveh, it, it would be like us being in Amish country here, and God calls us to go to the Big Apple, but instead, we jump in our car, train, plane, or automobile, or whatever, and we head to Idaho. The opposite direction, and about two or three times as far away as we can possibly get from where God told us to go. That's what, that's what Jonah does. He's fleeing to Idaho, or Tarshish in this case. It says that he went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And notice, notice this little phrase here that appears two times in verse 3, but then appears again over in verse 10. Is that Jonah is fleeing from the presence of God. Now again, one of the ways that God makes us mature is by calling us into the mission. And so as Matt read at the beginning in Psalm 139, Jonah knows the scripture. Where can I flee from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed down in the depths of Sheol, there you are, you are also. But when it says it and describes it in this way, that he's, he's fleeing from the presence of God, there's something going on in Jonah's heart that he's just not willing to deal with. And folks, it's the same way for us is that when we walk in resistance to the mission that God has given us, or in any sort of disobedience for that matter, we'll always say that the problem is outward. Jonah probably had a lot of good excuses. Lord, not the Ninevites, they're evil, and they're bad, and I'm scared. Lord, not the Ninevites, my countrymen are going to hate me, because they're against us, and they're constantly raiding us. But the real issue was in Jonah's heart, that he was fleeing from the presence of God, if I had to just put this in layman's term, this little phrase, that the, what it means here when it says that Jonah is fleeing from the presence of the Lord, here's how I'd put it. Jonah just wants God to leave him alone. Have you ever been there? Where you just, you just want God to leave you alone. You've got your life, you've got your plans, you've got stuff you want to accomplish, and you're focused on that. And God keeps standing at the door and knocking, and you're just ignoring it. You just want him to leave you alone. Specifically, in this text, there are two primary things that I think were driving Jonah from doing what God wanted him to do. Again, the things that might be going on in our own heart that we want God just to leave us alone with, they're endless. It could be an endless list of things. But two things here in Jonah's heart, and I'm, I'm sure we've each dealt with these as well too, they are bitterness and prejudice. Bitterness and prejudice. Now, the prejudice, and specifically the prejudice of racism, seems to be, or is most clear in this text. A um, little bit of a spoiler alert here, okay? But in Jonah chapter four, if you'll flip over there, um, in verses one and two, you know, Jonah has now preached and all of Nineveh has repented. It's one of the greatest revivals you see anywhere in the Bible. And then in Jonah 4, verses 1 and 2, it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and one who relents from disaster." So one of the reasons Jonah is fleeing is because he's got this prejudice in his heart against this group of people that are on God's heart. 
And like I said, God is far, far more merciful than you or I. But here's the other one, is that Jonah also just has kind of this general bitterness in his heart. Like I said, Jonah is mentioned one other time in the Bible outside of the book of Jonah. In 2 Kings chapter 14, it's speaking of King Jeroboam II, and it says, he restored the border of Israel from Labo Hamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he had spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath-hefer. But then the next verse says this, and it describes the times in which Jonah and Jeroboam lived. It says, For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. But the Lord had said that he would not blot out the name of Israel from under heaven. So he saved them from the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. Here's what that means, is that Jonah lived during a very difficult time. His life wasn't great. They were not living the American dream in this season. There wasn't a whole lot of freedom. God's hand was heavy upon them because they were rebellious and they continued to refuse to return. Yet, in his judgment, God was also mingling mercy. And this has been the entire span of Jonah's life. And Jonah, I'm sure, longed for his people to be saved, but God was sovereignly working there. He had a plan. But this bitterness in Jonah's heart and life just began to kind of take over to the place where when God wants to get something done and Jonah having the great privilege of having received on more than one occasion the word of the Lord coming to him, that he completely ran in the other direction. And folks, I just want to say that I have seen in my own life and in the lives of many Christians over the years, in fact, I would argue that this is the primary thing, one of the primary things that you need to battle with the longer, or be aware of, the longer that you walk with the Lord. And that is bitterness. See, the longer you go, the longer you go, the more instances what you you think will be proof of things that didn't happen that you wanted to happen or things that happened that you, sh- that, that you think shouldn't have happened. And you will think that it is proof that God is not good. But it's a lie. Do not let bitterness take root in your heart. Amen? Don't let it. There's bitterness in your heart this morning for something that has happened that has been truly difficult or something that hasn't happened that you wanted to see happen that you felt God should have answered. Go in there this morning with the Lord's help. Let him do it and take that scalpel and cut that dark part out because it will only keep you from the blessing that God intends for you. Jonah is completely apathetic. This has led to uh, a massive apathy in his life where he just does not care. And his whole attitude is kind of encapsulated here in verse 6. Okay? The storm has come. Again, it's a very, not just a random storm, it's a storm from the Lord, a very harsh one. 
It continues to increase in intensity. And in verse 6, so the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise! He uses the same word that God used in verse 2 when he called him to go, arise. What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give thought to us that we may not perish. And so here we go. Here's what we have. Jonah is running away from God's will for his life. He's running away from the act of obedience that God has called him to. He's running away from the people that God intends to save. And while a storm that is because of him is raging all around him, and the pagan sailors are now calling out on him to call upon his God, Jonah is asleep in the boat. He's just asleep. Do you know what apathy means? The actual definition of apathy, it's, it's just a total lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. That's where he's gotten. And this picture here of Jonah being asleep on the boat while everything is breaking loose around him, and he's the one that has the answer to it, is he's just asleep. And, and it's such a picture, I'm afraid. I don't think it's true of us. I pray it's never true of us at Mercy Hill. But at different times throughout history, this has been the picture of the church. That God's people, as stuff is swirling about, and pagans who don't know what's going on are crying out for help, we're just asleep. We can't be asleep. We are the bride, body, family, the people of God. And it's God's Spirit living in us that wants to work to bring about life in the world. So the sailor, the captain calls upon him. He says, arise, cry out. He's calling upon him even just to pray. That we would be awakened to pray, to call upon God. So Jonah wakes up, verse 7. They begin to bombard him with questions. Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And Jonah, in the midst of all his rebellion, he stands up in verse 9. Look at verse 9. He says, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. It, it's interesting, and I, and I just, I find verse 9 so true to life, so true to my life, and I'm betting in the lives of many of you as well, is that God, in his unbelievable mercy, and patience with us, with his people, has this incredibly mysterious, glorious way of bringing us to the place where we once again have to stand up and confess who we are. So important. In his mercy and his grace to us, he causes us at times to stand up and to confess who we are, who we fear, who we serve, who we belong to. I wonder if you're in that season this morning 
wonder if we're in that season as a church. But we need to stand up and confess what exactly it is that we believe. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul, speaking to Christians, he says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper! Awake, O sleeper! And arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. But folks, we as his people have got to pursue obedience. Not to earn grace, but because of his grace. Because we've been shown mercy. It's interesting in the story how Jonah's disobedience stands in stark contrast to the obedience of things that you would not expect to be obedient all around him. The wind obeys, the sea obeys, the sailors obey, the fish obeys. But Jonah does not obey. And I pray that it would not be true that God's church would be disobedient in the midst of a time when God greatly wants us and calls us to be obedient, and to shine like stars in the universe, to stand up, to awake. Um, Our faith is built upon confessions like these, that we acknowledge who we are, who we serve, who we fear, who we belong to. And the reason it's built upon a confession is because we serve one who has done all the work, who was never disobedient, but in his final act of obedience on the cross, in accomplishing our great salvation, he cried out with the words, it's finished, it's done, it's over. And that, of course, is Jesus. And you're going to see pictures throughout the book of Jonah. In fact, next week we'll probably get into some more places where Jesus in the Gospels many times references Jonah. So again, it's not just a fairy tale. Um, but where Jesus referenced him and, uh, as, a, as a historical person. But Jesus is the better Jonah, folks. Jesus is the better Jonah. Jonah was called to go to Nineveh to cry out against it. Jonah completely disobeyed. But Jesus was called to leave heaven and all the glory there and to come down to earth. And he didn't disobey, he didn't rebel even for one minute. If he had disobeyed even for one millisecond, our salvation would not be possible because a perfect sacrifice had to be offered on the cross. And Jesus came and even though he was in very nature God, as the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, that though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And there's an interesting story in the Gospels, isn't there, where Jesus also is asleep in the bottom of a boat. You remember that? But he's asleep in the bottom of the boat not because he was resisting God's will, but because he was perfectly fulfilling God's will. And he was at perfect peace with the Father. And if you'll remember that account, his faithless 
kind of pagan disciples at that time came to him. And they thought that he was apathetic. They thought that he just didn't care. They said to him, do you not care that we're perishing? But nothing could be farther from the truth. And he stood up. And he didn't just call out to God, but he proved that he was God. And he commanded the wind and the waves to cease, and it was instantly so. And after dying on the cross and rising again on the third day, this same Jesus, who paid the perfect sacrifice for our sin, and had the authority to calm the storm with just a word. In that same authority, in that same authority, wanting us to be keenly aware of it, because he says it, he reminds us of it. In Matthew chapter 28, in the Great Commission, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. And then what does he say? What's the next word, do you know? Starts with a G, ends with an O. Go. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. Just like he said to Jonah, arise. Go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And church, that's what, that's what I want for us. Is that until God takes us home or Jesus comes back in glory, that we would live every day on mission for him and what he wants. Worship team, you can come up. <coughs> I'll close with just a, few, just a few thoughts. Number one, have you lost your sense of amazement and awe at the mercy that God has shown you? If you know Jesus as your savior this morning, it's because of him. The lost sheep didn't go seek and save the shepherd. The shepherd came and he, to seek and save the lost sheep. And we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way, but God laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And he came to save us. And it's really hard to live on the mission of God when you're not delighting in the mercy that God has shown you. And I pray that as we've been in God's word this morning and as we close again, in a song here and in prayer that God would press on our hearts his amazing mercy for us. Secondly, I just wonder, do, do you know this morning, is it, does it just happen to be that you're here this morning and that you're in a season where you know, nobody else might not know, but you know that you are running the opposite direction of what God has called you to? Do you know that for you this morning? I hope not, but if you are, here's the simple instructions. Turn around. <laughs> turn around. That's what the word repent means. It just means to turn. Acknowledge that you're heading the wrong direction and turn by faith. Trusting that his mercy is enough and that he's able. I wonder if you're here this morning 
And if out of everything I've said, maybe just the one step of obedience that you, that you need to take is that you need to stand up and you need to confess again who you are, who you serve, whom you fear, and who you belong to. It's very easy to confess Christ, to live for him. But like I said at the beginning, so many of the pulls, the distractions, the vicious vacuums of the world get us off mission and off course to the place where we forget who we are. Brother and sister, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are his son, you are his daughter, he loves you. He is not going to change his mind about you. He is a faithful, faithful, faithful father. Even when we are completely faithless children. It's a verse that's on so many t-shirts and Thomas Kincaid Kincaid paintings and coffee mugs, yet we, and we see it all the time, but we still, we just don't believe it, that there is nothing that can separate you from his love. Nothing. Stand up this morning and confess that you belong to him. And that yes, maybe your life isn't in alignment with your confession, that's okay right now. Jonah's life was very off whack with his confession as well too, but it started with him standing up and confessing who he was, whom he served, and whom he feared. Jesus has good plans for us, folks. He is risen. He's risen. And I pray that as we sing here and as we close, that you would just, again, bring your hearts before him. Allow him to speak to you whatever it is he wants to speak. And let's obey him together. Amen? Let's obey him. And let's start with the obedience of delight. The obedience of being satisfied in the great mercy that he's shown us. Father, thanks for today. Thanks for your word. God, we don't want to be asleep in the bottom of the boat. There's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of tumultuous, tempestuous times in the world today, and we are your people. And the power is not ours, but it is from you. You have given us this exceedingly great treasure in jars of clay that it might be seen that this all-surpassing glory is from you. So Father, please, as your people, cause us this morning to delight in you, cause us to obey you, cause us to go where you're going. I pray that with renewed zeal, we would stand up and we would confess that Jesus is Lord. And that we are saved by grace alone in his shed blood. Have your way this morning, Jesus. We love you. In your name I pray. Amen.